I just want to do God's will. What you're seeking is a blessing from God. You must expect a miracle. You have the power of choice. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome to Life Today Live. I'm Randy Robinson. Great to have you guys here. Uh, Loretta, you guys that are live, you're invited to be a part of the conversation. If you're watching the replay, we always appreciate your comments and subscribing and following and liking and sharing all those good things. We're going to hit some big questions today. Uh, and here's, here's the reality. If, if you're not a Christian, this will be a fascinating uh, place for you to start because no doubt one reason you wouldn't necessarily be a Christian is because of some of these questions. Uh, and if you're a young Christian, uh, this is a great place for you, for you to kind of dig into some things that are going to come up. And if you've been a Christian for a while, I know you've, you've faced these things, you've dealt with these questions. And if you haven't personally resolved them all, uh, this will be very helpful. And other people are going to ask you some of these questions. That's just the, it's just the way. These are those big questions of life. Uh, and we're going to hit seven of them. Hopefully we'll get to all seven. If not, I'll show you the, well, I'll go ahead and show you the book uh, because today's guest uh, has written this book called The Seven Big Questions. And it's Bruce B. Miller. He is a pastor here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area at Christ Fellowship in McKinney, if you guys are local. Um, but these are the things that a lot of people stick on. It's a sticking point for a lot of people. Uh, and it's just, it's just hard. But we can ask the questions, and we can discuss them, and I think we can come to some resolution and peace with them. So, Bruce, great to have you on Life Today Live. Appreciate you being Thanks. here. Thanks. I'm delighted to be here. Honored to be invited. I'm, I'm happy to be a guest today. So I'm guessing that these seven big questions uh, – I just lost my laptop. Um, I'll get him back here. These seven big questions are a result of being a pastor, no doubt. Um, and I know I've, I, I am a question kind of guy. Uh, wow, a power hit or what? I had a power hit. So I'm assuming I'm still on the air. Yes, I'm still on the air. Uh, but I don't have Bruce with me anymore, but I'll get him back here. So I'm going to hit some of these questions. I mean, the big one is, does life have a purpose? Uh, and I think we all ask that at some point. What, what is why am I here? What, what is this all about? And frankly, if there's not more to life than just this life, it, it, it kind of reduces it to, you know, just kind of live for pleasure, grab all you can, take what you need, do what it takes. Uh, and we, we see the results of that throughout history of that sort of uh, viewpoint. Uh, okay, there you are. Uh, I lost you for I lost my power for a second. So you, sorry about that. No, it was uh, it was me, not you. So okay. I'm, I'm hitting that first big question, which is yeah. does life have a purpose? And I think that's that's one we all hit at some point, and boy, we all kind of have so. to answer, right? Yeah, boy, people in tough moments in life hit this question. Sometimes turning points. You think maybe getting married, having a baby, will give you a purpose, but then you end up not feeling that way. And sometimes it's just the ordinary things of life. It's just every day feels the same. And you start thinking, what's the purpose? It's kind of like Groundhog Day. Every day feels like the exact same day. Wake up, go to work and come home and do it all over again. <laughs> and what's the point? What hmm. does life really have meaning or purpose? And I think it's such an important question to ask. And a lot of people are surprised <laughs> that there's a whole book of the Bible dedicated to that question which is the book of Ecclesiastes. Hmm. 
Are you going to tell us the answer? <laughs> oh, come on, you got to read the book to get the answer. But I tell you, Solomon, probably the author of Ecclesiastes, goes through everything in life. Sometimes we wonder if maybe if I had enough money or enough opportunity, I could find something really meaningful in my life. And Solomon was the richest man of his day, the most powerful man, and he tried it all. He built things, he had money, he had possessions, he had every kind of pleasure that's possible to gain. And in the end, he said, it's all meaningless. Hmm. But there's a key phrase through the book, under the sun. And you'll find this phrase over and over, under the sun. And what Solomon is saying is that on this world, if all you look at is this world, this life, yeah, ultimately it's meaningless. You've got to look above the sun. Hmm. And it's when we look to God that we find purpose for our lives, not only in this life, but in the life to come. If, um, if there's no God then there is no purpose. Is that, I mean, is that fair to say? Yeah, I think you're exactly right. So I guess before we even get to the purpose question, we got to get to the God question, which, you that's know, right. does God that's, exist? That's and, question and, we put in the book, and, you know, there are people today, uh, atheists who have written books trying to show, show mm-hmm. that God doesn't exist. And mm-hmm. I think there's, it's also, even those of us who are Christians, maybe we not may not want to admit it, but, Sometime late at night, the thought goes through our mind, is this all real? I mean, does God really exist? And these days there are Christians, people talk about deconstructing their faith, that they're they're re-asking these kind of questions, even though you may have grown up in a church or a Christian school, later in your life, you're rethinking it all through. And that's, frankly, that's healthy. I encourage people to embrace their doubts, ask their questions, don't run from the truth. And in this case, the question is, does God exist? And how would you know? How could you have not only, not necessarily proof of that, but evidence for that? You know, I, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say that, that some people, you know, they come out adamantly and they're like, God doesn't exist. You can't prove it, yada, yada, yada. And I'm going, okay, you can't prove that he, he doesn't. And they'll say, well, the burden's on you to okay. prove it because you make the claim. Okay. Well, I guess at the end of the day, Every individual has to take a step of faith, whether it's believing that God does exist or that he doesn't exist. I mean, because I, I think, yeah. can we can we really prove, especially when you're talking about the scientific method, which limits itself to the physical, can we prove something spiritual does or doesn't exist? I mean, I think that there is a huge level of faith that... that is required for whatever you believe, whether you believe God does or doesn't exist. Certainly. There is a faith involved, and yet that faith doesn't have to throw out our minds. Mm-hmm. It's not irrational faith or blind faith, yeah. like just closing your eyes and jumping off a cliff. Yeah. And so I use the image of uh, walking into a dark room, and your eyes have not adjusted to the light, and you can't see it all. But you feel like there might be somebody else in the room. Mm-hmm. You just kind of sense it. <laughs> like I think people sense there is a God. And so I say, let's light some candles. And in the chapter, we light four candles. Hmm. And the more light those candles give, the more you can see there is someone here, and it's God. And so one light is the light of logic and existence. Some people call it the cosmological argument that Hmm. something had to cause all this, or had to be an original first cause. And then the argument from design, that all the beauty that's here, all the complexity of DNA, there had to be a designer that created all this. And then third, morality, that there are, there are universally societies 
humans say that murder's wrong, lying's wrong, stealing's wrong. Where did all this come from? There had to be a morals giver. And then finally experience. You know, it's not only your experience and mine, but billions of people all over the world for thousands of years testify that they've had a real experience with a real God. Mm-hmm. And that's in every nation, every language. In fact, Christianity is the most culturally diverse religion in the world. Could all those people be wrong? Could they all be lying? Could they all be hallucinating? That doesn't seem to make sense. And if even one of them is telling the truth, then they've had a real experience with a real God, and a real God does exist. Yeah, I also, I mean, you look at the results of people who have completely been transformed by, you know, meeting God, however they want to phrase it. That's right. And you're talking changes that, that, like we can't make in a person, <laughs> you know, and it's, I, I think that's one of the most powerful things ever. We talk about the word of, the, of your testimony is a bit. I mean, it's part. really at the level of miracle. When I look at the right. transformation in people's lives. You, I'm guessing you, you know, you've seen that as a pastor, you've seen this firsthand quite a bit. I would oh, think. Yeah. A man at our church was trusted in Christ and was baptized later in his life. And his family came in for his baptism and they said, you don't understand. <laughs> what he was like before. They said, this is, this is, you know, so radically different than we experienced. He'd been a dedicated atheist most of his life. Wow. And uh, yeah, he was a brand new man. His language, his vocabulary, uh, the sharpness of his tongue, it, just a lot of things in his life were radically changed. And when we say that, it's always negative things in your life that go right. away and positive things in your life. So that's what I mean, that points to the goodness of, of God in my mind anyway. And goodness and power of God. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Okay. So what do you say to those? And they say, okay, maybe God does exist, but how come you, uh, it, is it not Allah? You know, uh, how do you know it's your God? Right. How do you know it's your God? Some people say, well, Christian is just too narrow and Really, there's a misnomer there. Christianity is completely inclusive. Christ died for the whole world, no exclusion. Some people think, well, maybe it's just for Americans or certain kind of people. No, no, it, it back to Christ. Of course, we know Jesus was from the Mediterranean world, but Christianity says that God came for all people. He wants all people to be saved mm-hmm. without any exclusion. What's narrow is the truth itself. And truth, by its nature, is exclusive and narrow. So either Jesus Christ is God or Allah, but they can't both be God. And a lot of people want to say, well, both. Can't we just be have many roads to the top of the mountain, many paths, and you've got Mormonism and Islam and Hinduism, and can't they all be different paths to the top? And God, the same God, and living a moral life? But that really is not fair to each religion. In fact, it's actually... Uh, not treating each religion with respect because the reality is that each one is saying something very different. Hinduism is saying there's a whole bunch of gods and Buddhism is saying for some forms of Buddhism, there's no God mm-hmm. and Islam, Allah and Christianity is saying, no, it's Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Those are not all the same. They yeah. can't all be right. It can't all be true. Yeah. So again, I do think there's a level of choice and, and faith that, we have to enter into to say it's Father, Son, Holy Spirit, not right. Uh, 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 you know, whatever any of the other ones. Um, sure. 
And I guess I think that's I, – I, I, I like the fact that you point out that our faith is not without evidence um, because I think there is evidence in substance. But yet – That's right. And scripture does say that without faith, it's impossible to please God. So I do think we have to take a step into the uh, into things we may not understand or, or may not know in order to know and to understand, uh, because a lot of it comes later. So I don't know. It's an interesting thing. Um, I'll show people your book. This is the, the Seven Big Questions by Bruce B. Miller, and we've hit a few of them. Um, Here's here's one of them that's in in your book that I <laughs> this this one is a real can of worms yeah. in my mind and that's is is the Bible reliable and and let me the reason I say it's a can of worms is because you get into translations you right. get into context uh, you get into audience a lot of times um, and it's it's like my 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 former pastor before we moved uh would say that that there's only one correct interpretation of scripture but there are numerous applications right and i think a lot of times we get caught up in i mean there's obviously some bad interpretation out there uh but i think more often than not we get into maybe bad application and that makes people question whether it's actually true and it's like Yes, it's the way someone applied it was incorrect. How do how do we get how do we get through this reliability yeah, question? Because it's a big of, one of scripture. Yeah, there are a lot of dimensions to this question about the Bible's reliability. It's actually the longest chapter in the book. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> but you know, just to encourage you, your folks as you're listening, a lot of people think the translation of the Bible is kind of like the old telephone game. If you've never heard of that. That's a whole group of people get in a circle and someone says something to the person next to them and they say it to the next person and the next person all the way around the circle. And by the time it gets to the end, it's nothing like the original. It's completely garbled. Mm-hmm. And so people think, well, the Bible is a translation of a translation of a translation over thousands of years. Surely it must be wildly distorted from the original. Well, the good news is that's not the way translation works. And when a serious translation is done these days, the scholars and linguists go back to the earliest manuscripts, and we've been finding more and more manuscripts. And so today, the translation you hold in your hand, your English translation, is more accurate than any translation before it. Because it's not like the telephone game around the circle. It's more like we're standing as close to the person saying it as we could. And there are more manuscripts. In fact, today, the estimate by the Center for New Testament Manuscripts that there are 5,800 manuscripts of some part of the New Testament hmm. that exist, and there's now been digitized, so scholars have access to yeah. more manuscripts. So our translations are actually more accurate than any translation that has ever been done since the Bible was written. I I, I like the poetry aspect of the King James, but I hate the translation of it because <laughs> they had so little resources. I mean, there's literally things in, right. the, in the King James that don't exist because they guessed on some words because it was the best they could do at the time. What you, What's your king? And there, yet we have King James only people out there. And I get chided for saying this, but what, I'm curious about your view on the King James. Yeah, it was a good translation for the 1600s. <laughs> right, uh, exactly. When it was written, <laughs> and language changes. It changes so quickly that um, it's, it's so, sort of surprising. Uh, probably in our generation, words like gay and queer 
have all of a sudden taken on completely different meanings than they had 50 years ago. Yeah. And so when you read, and that happens to all language. So when you try to read language written several hundred years ago, it's completely different than language today. And so we we want to do fresh translations of the Bible to speak in today's English, not yesterday's English. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're 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 very kind in your <laughs> assessment <laughs> of that because I it just drives me nuts. But um, what about some of the uh, tr- uh, what, what is the the uh, paraphrases? Because I get we I do we get a lot of questions on those, and I've interviewed sure. some people that have done some of those. Um, I struggle with those. Uh, I, I can't read those unless I've got a translation next to it and like a parallel. Um, but yet I understand I understand that some people, it helps them relate to scripture that they have a hard time relating to. So I don't want to just throw it all out. But I don't know. That's a little bit difficult for me. I think it's really important to distinguish, as you just did, between a translation and a paraphrase. And when you confuse the two, that's where you run into a problem. Yeah. So a translation is an attempt to accurately convey the words and concepts in today's English as close as you can. But a paraphrase is more of a summarization of the text. It's not a translation. So it can be used, I think, more devotionally. So if yeah. you read the message, yeah. that would be a, a paraphrase. That, you know, A common one out today is the message that I would see as something to provide devotional help but not to confuse that with a translation. Uh, there was not a, Eugene Peterson who wrote that was not attempting to translate the Bible, but to paraphrase it. So paraphrases are better used devotionally. They're not as well used for study. And to realize the person paraphrasing it may have gotten the trend, may have not be accurate in the translation itself. Yeah. And, and the scripture has so many layers and such depth. Uh, you know, you look at a, a, a Greek word or Hebrew word, it can have multiple meanings, and depending on which one you choose can influence the direction. Uh, it's an interesting thing, but uh, what, do you use, what do you use at Christ Fellowship? What do you preach out of? I'm curious. Most of the time, I use the New International Version. Yeah. Uh, but we encourage people also to read the New Living Translation, to read um, several different—the Christian Standard Bible, I think, is a pretty good one that's out. The New Living Translation is good. The living tr- original Living Translation wasn't so good. That was written by one guy, uh-huh. but the New Living Translation is more accurate. That's, that's, I like parallels. I, I, I like yeah. having you know a bunch of them, but that's I'm a, I'm a word nerd, which is probably why I'm asking way too many questions on this particular topic. Let's, <laughs> let's move on to another one. So here's the, here's the big one, and this is one that uh, it stops a lot of people from even, I think, coming to Christ uh, or coming to to God or you know walking down that path, and it impacts Christians when they run into these situations. And that is, and C.S. Lewis was great about addressing this, but pain and suffering. Why does a good God allow good people to suffer? You know, it's just, that's a hard one. Yeah, I think that's one of the hardest questions. In fact, that's the most asked question of the seven questions. That's the number one question asked on the internet and by people. And as a pastor, my heart just goes out to you if you're suffering, if you're in pain right now, going through a difficult time. I just want to assure you that God cares for you. Sometimes that thought hits you, you know, I don't even know if God cares. I don't even know if he knows what's going on in my life. And why didn't he do something about it? And, you know, we never know why one particular evil thing happens. Why did one person get killed in a car accident, another get in a car accident and just walks away with no injuries? We don't know the answer to that. 
The bigger question is why do car accidents happen at all? Or why does rape happen or hurricanes? And for that, we go right back all the way to creation and look at how God created us with the ability to make choices, the freedom to make choices that have consequences. He could have made us robots. He could have made us puppets on a string. But by giving us the freedom to make choices, we sometimes make choices that are bad, that hurt us and hurt other people, bring evil into the world. But without the opportunity for love, we wouldn't have the opportunity for evil. So like, if I forced my granddaughter, I have a nine-year-old granddaughter, if I forced her to give me a hug, that hug wouldn't mean much. Mm -hmm. But when she chooses to throw her arms around my neck and give me a big kiss and say, I love you, I know she chose to do that. Mm -hmm. But she, of course, has the choice not to. And if she runs away from me, that's painful. All of us know when we had, the, if you got married or if you had kids, you know that choice to get married, the choice to have kids brought with it joys, huge joys, but you knew there also would be pain. And I think God knew when he created the world that there's the possibility for pain. So then people ask, well, why didn't he do something about it? Well, he did. He could have wiped out the world, but God did something amazing in his incredible love for us. He sent his only son to die on the cross and take, Isaiah says, he bore our pain. He bore our suffering on the cross and to free us from death itself with the promise that then one day there will be no more pain and no more suffering. You know, we get with our mission outreaches, you know, where we take food in emergency areas uh, where people are starving or malnourished. Uh, we inevitably get comments where people say, you know, if, if God was really out there or if God really loved people, he would give them food. Why are you having to ask us for money so that you can take them food? Why doesn't God just give them food himself? Uh, and I have, I mean, I think I know why, but I'm curious what your response would be to that sort of thing. Yeah, God has chosen to use us yeah, exactly. as his representatives. He made us in his image and he uses us to do good to people. Uh, you could easily say, well, why do I have to raise my children? Why didn't God just come down and raise my children? Well, <laughs> because God called us to be moms and dads to raise our kids, and he called us to be his hands and feet. We're called the body of Christ to, in the power of the Spirit, bring a cup of cold water to someone who's thirsty. Mm -hmm. I really do think that's the answer. I mean, you look in Scripture, that's the pattern. God likes to work through right. people, imperfect people. But and what a privilege, what an honor to serve the Lord in those ways. Oh, well, yeah, and, and that gets you past some of the other questions I find a lot of times if, we, if we're stuck on some of these questions uh the big questions that you're addressing to go out and sacrificially serve others I think really opens up your eyes uh and that's what Jesus said he, he said you look you want to be the greatest you, you be the servant uh, he that's said right. I, I didn't come to be served I came to serve uh, and so I, I do think a lot of these are kind of tied up together sometimes and that's part of our call is to alleviate suffering in the name of Christ yes yeah, oh, that's good. Okay, we got a couple more questions. I, I think we'll have time to kind of at least brush on. And by the way, you really want to get into the depth of these. You you know you can pick up the book wherever you get books. Looks just like that. Seven big questions, and we're not here just trying to sell books. But I like to give you resources if you want to go deeper into these things, uh, because these are these are big questions and these are they're difficult to wrestle with. But it's good to wrestle. With them and all through scripture you see people wrestling with them so it's that's okay right. to do that that's right. uh so is jesus the messiah and i got a jewish rabbi friend orthodox who i've gone round and round with him and it's like 
I, how do you, I can't make someone believe, you know, but right without, if Christ is not the Messiah, if he didn't, you know, if he wasn't killed on a cross and rose from the grave, well then all that we're doing is kind of stupid. You know, it doesn't work. <laughs> but if he is the Messiah, then it all makes sense. How big a question is that one? Yeah, it's huge. That's really at the heart of Christianity. Paul says, if Christ wasn't raised from the dead, our faith is in vain. Yep. And so it's the resurrection that's the hinge point of Christianity, because that then points to the deity of Jesus Christ, and then he is our Messiah. And when you look at Jesus himself, a lot of people say, oh, he was just a good teacher and a great moral, a great model of how to live. Well, he was those things, but so much more. And in fact, you look at what he claimed of himself. He claimed to be God. He invited people to pray to him, which may not sound strange to a Christian, but imagine a friend of yours, somebody you went fishing with, as in Peter, James, and John with Jesus, mm -hmm. saying, you can pray to me. I mean, if a friend of mine, a friend of yours said, you can pray to me, that'd be pretty weird. <laughs> yeah. And yet Jesus claims to be God. Well, a good person doesn't claim to be God. Again, if a friend of mine or a friend of yours claimed to be God, for me, I'd be worried about their mental health, <laughs> right. on drugs, some weird power trip. Yeah. So C.S. Lewis, you, who you mentioned famously, called it the liar, uh, lunatic, Lord trilemma. Either Jesus was lying when he said he was God, or he was deluded and thought he was God when he wasn't, mm -hmm. or he really is God. Either he's a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. And you've got to make your choice. And looking at his life and his teachings, certainly he doesn't look like a liar or a lunatic. The answer is Jesus really is the Lord. He is God. He is the Messiah. You know, there is a fourth option there that I've been hit with, uh, which is that now Jesus was a great teacher, uh, a prophet even, but his followers elevated him to something that he wasn't. You ever hear that one? Yeah, and I think that that where that falls is you have to look at what Jesus claimed about himself. And so when you go back and look at the Gospels and look at all the things Jesus said about himself, for instance, all the I am statements in the Gospel of John, principally the huge one was where Jesus said, I am, which is the name of God in Hebrew, Yahweh. Right. And the Jews understood immediately what he was claiming, and then they took up stones to stone him mm. because they knew he was claiming to be God. That's not a claim his followers made. That's a claim Jesus Christ made himself. Yeah, and I also think that if if he was such a great teacher and he produced a bunch of liars as followers, then right. he wasn't that great of a teacher. <laughs> you know, because that's it's just there's a that's a massive disconnect for me. And so the I think it's amazing is those followers you're talking about, they died they for died, Christ. Well, I know, right. Their lives and if who would die for a lie that not, you know is yeah, not, I mean, especially that many, you know? Right, thousands. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't, doesn't compute. All right, and here's the last question that you hit. Uh, and to me, this is, this is the most beautiful one, uh, and that is, can I know God personally? Yeah, and boy, what an amazing truth. A lot of people think about God as something to believe in or a worldview, but you can know him personally. And some people, you may hold back because you may think I'm too bad. I've done too many wrong things in my life. Now, Christ came to die for sinners. He came for all of us. And he offers us a real personal relationship with him, the living God. 
He says he'll adopt us into his family, that he will be in us and we can be in him. You can experience this amazing life that God has for you, that you, by trusting in Christ, then he says he will receive us as his children. Yeah, and that that's just, that's almost too big to even fathom at times. And yeah. and for people who may have some doubt, I mean, I think Thomas gets a bad rap, uh, doubting Thomas. I mean, I, I want to know for myself too, you know? Right. Uh, and the beautiful thing is, is you just try it and God shows up. That's right. You know, so it's it's okay to go. I want to I want to see for myself. I want to touch for myself. Because uh, Jesus didn't chide Thomas. He said, "Come here, find out." That's and right. So for anybody and, anybody who's struggling with these questions, I'd say, that's "Look, right. just 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 try it. You know, just reach out and see what happens." Yeah, I encourage you to ask your questions, embrace your doubts, don't mm-hmm. be scared of the truth. And your knowledge of God can grow deeper and deeper and your faith firmer and firmer. Yep. Yeah, I love it. All right. You can uh, find out more about Bruce Miller at BruceBMiller.com. And the seven big questions is available right now wherever you get books. Bruce, I'll give you the last word. I appreciate you being here. We're kind of walking through these quickly uh, because these are deep things, but but you handled it very well. Um, uh, Anything else you want to cover? Anything else you want to mention before I let you go? Just an honor to be here with you, and I would encourage you listeners to ask your questions and go deeper and deeper in your faith in God through Christ. Yeah. I don't think you'll be disappointed if you do that. I just... I've seen too many good things happen with people who press in, even in the difficult questions and the difficult That's times. That's right. Uh, and so I would encourage you to do that. Wouldn't Appreciate you guys you being here. With the Lord? Hit share, hit like, it, follow, subscribe, uh, and come I back. We've got more for you right here on Life Today Live. We'll see you again next time. No longer will I rely upon my goodness, upon my personality, but Lord, I just come as a bankrupt sinner. Saying, Lord, have mercy on me.